Welcome back to More Life, the Reentry Podcast, a podcast about offender reentry, reform, and advocacy. And I'm your host, Vankivia Garner. Thank you for tuning in today to our third and final episode of our series about the invisible world of women's correctional health care. Caitlin and Kelly are with us again to help us further dive into this conversation and conclude our conversation that we've been having over the past couple of weeks. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to it as we delve into a personal narrative to highlight the impact of incarceration birth stories, um, and as well as we just talked about the overall impact of incarceration on women and being pregnant while incarcerated. But for today's episode, to kind of close out our series, we will be focusing on the path forward. We'll explore the efforts being made to improve women's correctional health care and highlight the importance of policy changes and advocacy. Um, So a lot of our conversation may talk in different aspects of related to policy reform, gender responsive programs, and also hear um, the voices of advocates who are working tirelessly to make a difference. Um, Caitlin and um, Kelly will be outlining some of the things that they are doing independently and with their project to be able to advocate and make changes. So without further ado, I want to jump in and I want to start with, you know, what are y'all doing individually um, to push efforts forward in supporting women in their correctional health care, whoever wants to start? So personally, um, on my professional level, I work with Maine Family Planning, which is the state of Maine's first and largest independent reproductive rights organization. Um, And I work with our reproductive empowerment project. Um, I'm one coordinator on the team and our coordinators go out into communities across the state of Maine. And we work um, more so guided towards individuals who have experienced life stressors very similar to either incarceration, substance use, um, domestic violence, sex trafficking, all of the above. Um, And we supply reproductive health um, and sexual health services such as STI testing, hep C, HIV testing, um, birth control access, emergency contraceptive access such as Plan B and Narcan, but we also are handing out um, wound care kits, hygiene bags, um, grocery store gift cards, phones and phone cards, um, really trying to meet a diverse set of needs from individuals who are experiencing barriers to Um, one or all of the above, and we do it all for free. Um, We have been really working on getting more into the jails. We are currently working with Kennebec County Jail, um, and it's something that I would really encourage other individuals that might have the capacity or um, interest in doing however they can with their professions or personal interests is be involved with individuals in the jails. they like groups, they like educations, it gives them something to do. And if you're able to provide an essential resource that they would otherwise be without, um, all the better. Um, and so that's kind of like what I'm up to. And then I don't want to get too much into the Unborn Prisoner Projects um, until I let Kelly share a little bit about her personal work too. So I'm going to kind of 
back up a little bit and just say what I've been doing since I've been released, which was in January of 2020, just before COVID hit. Um, as COVID shut down the country, I just started going to a bunch of trainings for like peer support and recovery coaching, anything I really could. Um, I started working for the Waterville Peer Recovery Center as a peer support specialist. I was starting to run groups. I did smart recovery. I was a facilitator for that. Um, eventually I got done there and I was offered a job with the main prisoner reentry network running their Augusta recovery and reentry center. Um, so I was the director of the first recovery and reentry center in Maine. Um, we did a wonderful job our first year. Um, it's actually how Caitlin, uh, KJ and I were connected, um, because, uh, a colleague that worked at Mean Family Planning was doing groups at our center um, and connected us for one of KJ's school projects. Um, and we've, we've just been able to develop the Unborn Prisoner Projects out of that project. Um, I got done as the director in December of last year, and I have been the development and uh, grant coordinator at Kennebec Behavioral Health since then. So that's what I do now. I write grants and I stay on the sidelines and just try to try to make money for all these wonderful programs that work the front lines. Oh, and uh, I forgot about the most important stuff. My goodness. Um, I also am a subcontractor for the Maine Prisoner Reentry Network still. I work as a consultant for the Maine CDC, Center for Disease Control, and the Maine um, Breast and Cervical Health Program doing, um, it's a two-year grant, and it's to provide cervical and breast exams and screenings to women releasing from the Southern Maine Women's Reentry Center. On top of that, I run a monthly reentry group at the Southern Maine Women's Reentry Center where we discuss the challenges to reentry and I try to connect women to reentry specialists from the Maine Prisoner Reentry Network. Um, for those of you that don't know what the Maine Prisoner Reentry Network is, it's it's an organization in Maine that is dedicated to helping citizens reenter the community. Um, they provide a lot of peer support and recovery coaching and groups, um, just a lot of support to your reentries. And I honestly don't know where I would be without them. So. Um, and then also we have the Unborn Prisoner Project. So it's, a, it's all, all about advocacy and, um, and trying to make the best reentry possible for re returning women and well, returning citizens in general. Yeah, y'all both are very involved in this work. And um, I think that's really great because um, we need people like both of you to to be working in the field and that have that experience to be able to uh, explain to us that don't have, you know, the direct experience, um, but may have some indirect experience or just don't have any experience at all of how to work with um, the individuals that are you know, encountering the carceral system. Um, I know that y'all have the Unborn Prisoner Project. So 
do y'all care to expand on what the mission is with that and um, the efforts y'all are making there with that project? Yeah, so as Kelly mentioned, it's uh, we met when I was looking for a project to do to better outsource all of this information I had researched during my graduate studies. Um, I really wanted something that could help make information accessible, um, something that could lend a hand to storytelling um, and not lose aspect to the, the human behind these quick phrases and statistics. Um, and so through many weekends um, at Kelly's countertops and over my laptop screen, did we talk about color schemes and platforms and are we going to do reenactments? Are we going to do social media posts? Like really what could we um, become to help draw people into this conversation? Because um, that is ultimately, I think what we're advocating for most so far because of how often it's left out of the conversation or when it is included, it's just sort of kind of tucked neatly alongside a bunch of other things um, and doesn't really get a chance to be heard as the issue that it is and allow the evaluation of the consequences that it have to take place. Because um, it is a very unique issue um, and, it does, and it has very unique consequences. Um, and so as much as I've kind of been talking about the discretion between policy and practice, policies are very important. You know, getting good legislation passed is still very important, even if it takes a little bit of extra time to get it implemented just as well. Um, and because not enough people are really in this conversation, we're having a really hard time passing legislation. And it's been this way, not just in Maine, but across the country, um, a really common bill that has been introduced in a lot of different states, including Maine, is an act regarding dignity for women in correctional facilities, which details, you know, the need for proper, adequate reproductive health and supportive prenatal and postnatal care, along many other things. Um, and it's either always getting dropped or you know, in the case of the state of Maine, it still has yet to be signed into law. It's in concurrence. And so in order to get real progress moved forward, we need people in the conversation. And so we try to use our social media platforms to amplify these issues, to talk about overlooked statistics, undervalue impacts that it has, um, not just for communities, but the children um, that are being born from parents that are in prison and in jails. Um, and just really what this means as we continue to go forward living our everyday lives. Um, because for some people, as we've kind of talked about in our past episode, it is our life. So I know KJ and I have talked about all of the different possibilities that and the different directions that we could go with the Unborn Prisoner Project. And it's really a matter of funding, 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 right? And with both of us doing, you know, our daytime jobs and all of these extra things, we've had a hard time coming together lately to make some of these happen, things happen. Um, 
hopefully we can change that soon. But we've, we've talked about putting care packages together for pregnant women while they're incarcerated. We've talked about um, doing like baby showers for them. We've talked about maybe even someday having our own correctional housing specifically for pregnant women. Um, because there is a need. It, it's just, you know, where they can eat a salad, where they can have cottage cheese and fish and all of the things that they're supposed to have while they're pregnant, you know, healthy food, you know, transportation to their appointments where their loved ones can meet them there. These things are so important. You know, they can, they can have a their little app track their pregnancy. That's something that I always wanted to try. I'm never going to have another child again. So I'm never going to have a chance to try one of those cool little apps, you know? Um, so really making those experiences possible for pregnant women while they're incarcerated is, is, I mean, it's important to me because I think that they should have that experience, whether they're incarcerated or not. Um, so there's lots of different directions that KJ and I have talked about going with the Unborn Prisoner Project, but I think our first step is to officially become a 501c. Um, so that is on my to-do list next. Um, I think so ultimately for us too, um, in corresponds to all of that, is just to try and inspire people to do the same. Because if it's not something we can do, maybe it's something someone else could do, or maybe it's something that's already being done. Um, so some really cool, already established organizations out there um, include like Motherhood Behind Bars, who is based in Georgia. Um, they're doing really awesome work for pregnant people who are incarcerated um, and their families. Um, another one is Let's Get Free in Pennsylvania. Um, they actually just got done with a really, really cool art show and auction that all benefited, you know, individuals who are impacted by this. And they focus about women's needs um, and their health needs while incarcerated. And so figure out what's in your state, what's in your community. And if there's nothing, and if no one is talking about this, why not? And how can you bring this conversation to the, to the table? Um, because advocacy is so desperately needed um, when you literally don't have a voice as someone who's incarcerated. And advocacy is exactly what we're all about right now. Um, another really great one, KJ, is Through These Doors. You know, they're actually a domestic violence organization, but they actually, they did a quite a good job with, they have offered the Moms to Moms group. When I was incarcerated, they did a wonderful, um, it, around Christmas, they gave you a book and they sat you down in front of a camera for a half hour while you, you recorded yourself reading the book and a private message for your child for Christmas. And you were allowed to mail the book, the USB with video on it and a small present for them for Christmas. And, you know, that's something that is huge for a mother that is incarcerated that can't give anything to their child for Christmas. Um, so they're, they're doing wonderful work still. Um, but like I said, they're primarily a domestic violence organization. So um, they're based out well, of, uh, um, that, that's an organization based in Maine. And they also, they do have a, a, um, a reentry house where they 
uh, try to prioritize housing to individuals who experience barriers because of the carceral system or substance use otherwise. Um, so yeah, thanks for also for throwing them in. And again, just highlighting another reason why people should definitely be aware um, of what's happening in the community and how you can contribute because as we reimagine what it means to care for communities, we have to figure out where to stop this reciprocal trauma somewhere. Um, otherwise, it's just going to continue to to feed itself, um, and it's not benefiting anybody. It's not benefiting the people incarcerated. It's not benefiting their families, and it's not benefiting communities. And the fact that our reflex is to punish instead of care or require criminalization as a prerequisite for care, um, as we talked about in the first episode, um, we're really not doing anything to help anyone. Um, and we have to be able to reimagine what it means to be in community with everybody. Um, because even the people we like the least, sending them to prison does not make them you know, vanish from this planet. There's still someone that needs to be cared for. Um, and so that's where I definitely invite everyone into the conversation, even if they feel like advocacy isn't there, isn't the thing for them, or they don't have the, that ability or um, capacity to um, provide advocacy or um, activism at this time, is to just have that conversation with yourself or like with your loved ones and with your own friends. Like, what does it mean um, to really care for community? How are we currently doing that? Um, and how could we do better? As as Kelly's said so many beautiful times um, throughout our, our various conversations, how could we do better for each other? You know, there's this commercial that I've been seeing on TV that is actually pretty meaningful. Um, the how are you commercial? Have you seen that lately, KJ? It's a message from, gosh, I don't even remember what, who the commercial is from, but it literally just says, Maine, how are you? Have you been asked this question lately? We want to know. Oh, it's Northern Lights Hospital. Um, How are you? Do you need our help? We're here. We care. Like, it, and it's, it's got graffiti on big walls and you know big signs in the air how are you and it's just such a wonderful message to know that somebody cares and that they're putting it on tv it's been a long time since i've seen something like that i thought it was worthwhile mentioning it seems like there are a lot of organizations out there that are you know making the efforts and they're doing the advocacy um, where we still need to see the biggest change, though, is in that legislation and it's in that policy and it's in the practices that we implement in the correctional facilities and outside of the correctional facilities. Um, so I'm wondering from both of you, what, where are those opportunities of improvement or those gaps that need to be closed um, so we can better support um, as Kelly has alluded to, can show up differently and support these individuals? I would definitely say um, the policies need to be consistent from the jails to the prisons. You know, we have 
13 county jails. I think that they need to be consistent throughout all county jails and throughout all main state facilities. Um, I think that they should reevaluate their policies when it comes to pregnant women. And I know that they have, and they have made some improvements, but they haven't made all of the improvements they can make. I also think that the corrections officers need to practice policy. Um, you know, when a woman is six centimeters dilated, leave the room. It, 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 every officer I talked to would played stupid, like, oh, I never read that, even though I had the policy in my hand. Yeah, well, until I hear from the sergeant, I can't do that. You know, that's just ridiculous to me. <clears throat> um, the list goes on. I mean, legislation is really where it starts. I know that with LD2085, they really tried to implement a lot of change. And it's very unfortunate that that bill died. Luckily, our, you know, they implemented some of those internal policies, but there's just always room for, for more. Um, and then not to mention um, having WellPath, a for-profit for healthcare provider for our residents or prisoners, or inmates, or whatever you want to call them. That is just unacceptable. We we need a nonprofit taking care of those people. WellPath, they have so many lawsuits going right up to the top. And the lack of quality care is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, even in, you know, jails, they have different for-profit contractors. Um, I think the one that Kennebec had was I, I care, like I care. Um, they were no better. They, they were awful too. You know, the, the main doctor was in Ohio and, Never met anybody in the jail, but they, yet they're the one calling the shots and prescri prescribing things. How does that work? There's just so many, so many gaps in the system, it, particularly when it comes to healthcare, and particularly when it comes to women. And you know, like I said before, where Maine is one of 13 states that has changed their laws to be more gender neutral and more. Um, more curious to women. What about the other states like Texas or, you know, God knows where else, but where women are treated like men, where when you need a tampon, tough luck. You know, I, I remember when I was in prison, I read a woman had her baby in her cell and four days later was sent to the hospital. That's ridiculous. We can do better. We can do better as a state. We can do better as a country. I think it takes the approach of, as I said in an earlier episode, incarceration is so deeply woven into all social systems. And so 
as we approach the conversation of how do we do better, we need to slowly, but yet just as delicately unweave what's been woven into our culture. Um, and so what I mean by this, it's recognizing how many initiatives are currently being passed that actively exclude incarceration that maybe instead could include. Um, so some instances that come to mind, like I know in Maine, lots of initiative is being done to try to um, better support the relationship between children in state custody and their visitation with their parents, but that doesn't include parents that are incarcerated. Um, you know, or if we're thinking about housing initiatives, so if individuals um, on community confinement, so you're on state supervision, but you're not any no longer in the correctional facility or actively in the community, you're not eligible for a housing voucher. So you just spent however many months incarcerated, un unable to earn an income, and now um, in a state like Maine where we're having a housing crisis, there's a very good chance you're going to end up homeless. Um, because there's no assistance for you. We are actively excluding you. And so I think there's one untapped major venue of making areas of improvement are including those we're actively excluding in initiatives we're trying to implement currently. And then from there, it is taking the recommendations of the professionals. So where is um, the enforcement of the ACOG's recommendation, you know, the American uh, College of Obstetrician and Gynecology, you know, they have a list of recommendations that every individual that is pregnant should receive. Those are not enforced. Why isn't, why isn't that the case? Um, where is that higher level of oversight of the quality of care being received? Um, and so, and again, it just, it brings us back to the conversation of reform and abolition in general, um, and what is it going to take, I think, to really reimagine what it means to be and care for communities because this system isn't working. And if anything, this system is becoming extensively more dependent upon in various forms, whether that be right our reflex for punishment and accountability, whether that be employment um, and capital, um, or whether that be um, other supporting social services, as we've kind of mentioned, like we're industrializing this need to care for people in a very unnatural way. Like it is not natural to cage other humans up and to separate families. Um, and so how do we start embarking on this journey that allows us to reimagine and reactualize our choices um, that paint a different picture, a new future. You know, I also think that we can do better when it comes to reentry in general. There are, are people that are incarcerated that take reentry for granted, right? They, they have this plan and they're going to be just fine when they get out, right? Well, you have to think every decision-making ability that you've had has been taken away for the last however long you've been incarcerated you haven't had to do laundry you haven't had to make dinner you haven't had to go grocery shopping you haven't had to drive you haven't had to work you know you haven't had to do anything make appointments nothing 
So when you get out into the real world and you're driving down the street, it's like, wow, where did that building come from? Or, oh my God, there's so many changes, so many people. Your for, first trip to Walmart is like a pure anxiety attack. Setting up a cell phone is like ridiculous. You know, deciding what you want for dinner, remembering to eat, sleeping in a real bed, um, set, uh, making appointments, waking up for a six o'clock count three months after you're, you're released, you know, people take these things for granted, but it's still something that you struggle with having a hug. You know, you, I spent a year without any type of physical touch. Having a hug was like, it jumped me. Touching an animal, petting an animal was so weird to me. These are things that are abnormal everyday life. And there are things that people take for granted. And there are things that reentering citizens struggle with and are not prepared to deal with because we are not preparing them. Yeah. So from the heart of it, it sounds um, where the biggest changes come from is from legislation and policy changes. And, and through that, we can implement the necessary practices and um, enforce them appropriately. Um, but right now, what we're doing is advocating, um, pushing these pushing these issues in front of people and having the critical conversations um, to get this to legislation so, so they can be changed. Um, so I thank both of you for everything that you, you know, you provided from, you know, the legislation stuff that needs to be changed uh, to what individuals can do as advocates um, for themselves and to push these issues. Um, and because it's really just, you know, I think throughout this entire series, like it's it's been eye opening. We've learned so much just about the neglect um, and how invisible these women may feel in um, the carceral system. And, and it's our job to, you know, let them be heard and allow them to um, have the necessary resources that they deserve and that they need um, to be able to, to sustain while incarcerated. Um, so before we leave here, uh, before wrapping up this episode, I want to ask each of you, what advice would you give to someone who is currently incarcerated and pregnant or has had a similar experience um, in trying to navigate that process? My advice would just, I mean, if you're currently incarcerated and pregnant, just stay strong. It doesn't last forever. Advocate for yourself when you need to. Know that there are people out there that you care that will be there for you, that will advocate for you, even though you may not think so and you may not see it. Um, just stay strong. Stay strong for you and stay strong for your baby and may take care of that baby as best you can. And, you know, if you've already been through the experience, congratulations for making it through that experience. And I'm sure it was difficult for you and, I'm, I'm proud of you for making it through that experience. It's not easy. I've done it and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. Um, 
but if you if you are going through that and if you did go through that then you are truly a strong person and don't ever forget it i would just say for children of incarcerated parents never forget that you are the future that your community is yours to guide and to lead and your voice is meant to be heard. I think it is very easy to forget that when we're constantly sort of talked about as another, um, but we are all leaders truly moving forward to a brighter future. And without your voice, we're not gonna get as far as we need to. And so yeah, you, you are the future. You are strong. Don't give up we're going to make a better future for everyone. I'm going to add to that. Your birth story does not define who you end up being. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and, you know, I think everything that you both just told us is, is, is so amazing and it's so impactful because those are things people need to know of. If you do have a history of incarceration, if you're currently incarcerated, stay strong. This is only temporary. And when you leave there, you are not defined by that experience um, or those circumstances prior. Um, so I really do thank you both for sticking through this mini series and, you know, giving us all that you have, um, talking about your experiences, your expertise, the insights that you have um, and that you've learned throughout your process of whatever your history or experience has been or just working with these individuals. Um, I am really grateful and I know our listeners are as well. Um, I do want to urge our listeners to recognize the humanity within the system um, by understanding the struggles and advocating for change. We contribute to a more and just compassionate a more just and compassionate society um, so my final words as I said also in the first episode is that remember that awareness and action can drive meaningful change and so if you are an advocate or you're making efforts to make change um, for pregnant women in corrections or their needs please let us know on our Instagram what you are doing share with us your stories and engage with us in conversation um, you can follow us on Instagram at More Life The Reentry Podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about Unborn Prisoner Project, you can follow them on Instagram and YouTube at the Unborn Prisoner Project. Um, in the previous episodes, I had said that wrong. So I wanted to make sure that I correct y'all and it will be correct in the um, description box below. But I do thank y'all for tuning in with us today. And I thank you both for completing this series with us. Thank you so much for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for providing the platform for us to advocate. Thank you so much for having us and allowing us to go into such an in-depth conversation and really try to bring um, such an active but silenced issue to the forefront. Um, and I really hope listeners were able to take something in a way from one or hopefully all episodes and feel inspired to to continue their research on this topic yes i i'm 
definitely think there was a wealth of knowledge that was given in all three episodes and listeners like I said if you learned anything from us communicate with us on Instagram um, follow their Instagram page um, and just keep in contact and let us know what you've learned and if that's all we are signing out